Welcome everyone to In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Henriquez, a commercial litigator with Wombleban Dickinson, and today we have a special episode for you recorded in Washington, D.C. at the Association of Corporate Counsel's annual conference. We recorded several episodes at the conference, and I think they are some of the best conversations we've had to date. Longtime listeners may notice that the audio isn't quite as good as we typically produce. We used our travel equipment, so please forgive any technical issues. We have a special guest with us today. George Church is general counsel uh, for Continental Tire North America, located in Fort Mill, South Carolina. George, thank you for being here. I appreciate it, Mark. Glad to be here. We are coming to you today from the National Meeting of the Association of Corporate Counsel. I was amazed to see, I think it's 2,700 people here at the opening uh, session, which talked about blockchain. I looked out and the room was just packed uh, with people. So it seems to grow every year. George, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So I've uh, been with Continental, which is uh, one of the world's largest auto suppliers. Uh, based out of the Fort Mill office in South Carolina. Been with the company for about 17 years. Prior to that, I was a uh, staff lawyer at Food Lion in the grocery store business. And before that, I was a private lawyer in Charlotte. The company has changed a lot over the, I've been there 17 years now, as I mentioned. Lots of acquisitions, lots of integration of uh, people, especially in my area, and lots of growth in our department. So it's been a very fun ride. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I referenced a number of people here at the uh, ACC National meeting because I think it's a reflection of the growth of in-house positions in general. It seems to me, at least from where things were you know, 25 years ago when I started practicing, it was unusual to meet someone who is in-house counsel. Um, now, small and mid-sized companies often have counsel, and bigger companies like Continental have multiple counsel. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how the, you mentioned growth, how has the legal department kind of grown and changed over that period when, when you've been there? So uh, from a region perspective, uh, so I'm responsible for the Americas region as well as a few global expert teams. But when I started at the end of 2000, I think we had seven lawyers in the Americas. Today, we're about 52 in the Americas. We've grown significantly with the business and we've been able to, as you mentioned, I think it's uh, more people I see coming in-house and I've come to this convention here at the ACC for a number of years, and it just continues to grow. I mean, it used to be able to be done at a hotel. Now you've moved to the convention centers, and there's so many people, even some people that you want to see, sometimes you don't see in the context of a three-day meeting. But it's, uh, I think, significant growth, and I think a lot of companies, as you mentioned, small, medium, and large, have decided that in-house counsel makes sense. And I think companies have uh, put more value I think, in the in-house legal group. No, I think that's true. Makes me wonder if we're going to be meeting in stadiums 10 years from now. Right? <laughs> Possibly. Because there aren't that many rooms that hold 22,000 people. No, they're not. Um, you know, if it keeps growing, you're going to have to divide it up. It is, it is interesting because it has grown from a manageable-sized group to a really large organization. It is definitely a very, very large meeting, but also still a very good meeting in the way it's done. Right. 
Well, what, the topic I thought we could at least start out talking about today is that topic of the legal department. I think we've got a lot of listeners that may have just joined a legal department. Maybe they're still in that stage where, where you know they're the first person to be a general counsel in that department. You've seen that growth. I mean, you've got 50 lawyers in that North America division. As I talk to, to GCs, they're often unsure about how do I grow? How do I find the right people? What type of title should they have? I think, you know, in some ways, that's a department in a company that's less developed than the sales department or the finance office, where you know you've got a CFO and a controller and you've got, you know, senior accountants and other levels to take what I view as a more established piece of most businesses. Legal departments, I see much more variety and more uncertainty about the structure. And I think there's often uncertainty too about how to hire folks. So I guess that's an area where I thought maybe we'd talk today and maybe come up with some tips for listeners about how to build a department, what things to look for. Yeah, sure. I guess to begin a little bit on your topic, Mark, obviously, depending on where you are in the spectrum, whether you are a first lawyer in a smaller company, or maybe you have five or 10 lawyers in a medium-sized company, or even in the, the large departments, depends a little bit on where you sit in that spectrum and as to what you need. Obviously, we've grown quite a bit in the last 16 years in the region here. We've also grown globally. And at least for us here, the growth has come by a number of different ways. Some have come from acquisition, but some have also by hiring different folks for different areas of expertise. Acquisition is one area that's very interesting because the integration piece, obviously you're integrating the whole company and the law department is one piece of that. But what I've found is We've been ready on day one with knowing where everybody's going to be doing, where they're going to be sitting, what their title is going to be. And as soon as the closing occurs, we push the button and we move forward. Wow. Not every department is as smooth as that, and some are obviously more complicated. But I think in terms of growing by acquisition and integration, I think it's very important from the legal or even some of the other areas that uh, I manage, which are compliance on IP and government affairs, if you have people coming in, Use that after signing before closing time to make sure that those people know where they fit in the organization, what they're going to be doing, and on day one, you're going. I think that's very important. That's a great tip, and it reminds me of another podcast some of our listeners may have heard, but if you missed it, uh, I had Rob Del Priori as a guest. He was a general counsel at MidAmerica Apartments. They merged with Post Apartments to form the largest apartment real estate company in the country, and Rob had the unenviable task of not only merging two legal departments, but they put him as head of the whole integration uh, team for both companies. So we spent a good podcast talking about various things to look at from software integration to policy integration. Um, it's a lot to do. So if you're going through a merger, look at that. But George, I think your point is well taken because I think there's often a lot of anxiety and uncertainty mm-hmm. after an acquisition and people say, am I still going to have a job? Who am I going to report to? Do I just keep on doing what I was doing before? So I think that's a great tip to say, line, you know, get those lined up so people know where they fit. Yeah, yeah we, we've tried to do that. Uh, I think you're exactly right. Any kind of acquisition position, there's anxiety, right? It's a new environment, a new company. You know, in the last 10 years, 11 years, we've bought Motorola Automotive, Integrated Lawyer, Siemens Automotive, most recently Vance Company uh, up in the Cleveland area. 
And I think one of the keys there is we not only looked at the talent that was coming in to the organization and the skill sets, because in many cases we picked up skill sets that we either wanted, didn't have, or could expand upon. So we moved some people around, we changed a little bit of their position description, if they had particular skill sets or even expanded their responsibility to try to really capture, get the best out of the people coming into the organization. So we've done that now a couple of times, and I said most recently with the Vance organization. But I think it's the employees appreciate knowing where they sit, what they're doing, who they're reporting to. And I think the, the longer that drags out after closing, the more difficult it becomes. So if you can take that anxiety away as quickly as you can, uh, it's a much smoother situation for the department. I think that's great. You mentioned something interesting, which is, you know, some people had skill sets you were wanting. One thing that I'm interested in is how do you decide what you need and how where you're going to switch from perhaps outside counsel to inside counsel? You know, there are a lot of companies, for example, on trademark or IP rely on outside counsel. But then at some point, and I don't know if it's just workflow or economics, you know, there's a change to say, actually, let's get an IP person in-house or let's get a compliance person in-house or contract person or different areas. What's the process in deciding, yeah, that's a skill set we want or yes, that's something we want to do ourselves rather than use outside counsel? I mean, yeah, there's a number of things that we look at in trying to make a decision like that. Part of it is at least from my standpoint, does it make sense to try to insource something? So one area, for example, is litigation. And yes, we have lawyers that have been litigators and can manage litigation. But in my opinion, to effectively do litigation, you have to be local. You have to have good people that are doing that every day, knowing the judges, et cetera. That's not something, or at least very difficult, to be able to build up in-house without spending an absolute fortune and having people in 50 states, perhaps, right. being able to cover all jurisdictions. Yeah. That's so, why I chose that practice. Yes, I exactly. thought there was well, more job security there. Yes, you're smart. You're smart. you got plenty, <laughs> at least from our perspective. Um, so litigation is one area where I do not see where we're going to be trying to insource the bulk of it. I mean, do we need people that know litigation and can manage it and work with the, you guys out in the field? Absolutely, and we have that. But in terms of other areas, you know, we'll look and see, you know, what are we spending in areas like a real estate or employment law or IP or whatever the case may be. Well, we've got enough analytics out there that we can break that down by different expertise areas, by companies, by areas of the country and see, you know, if we're spending an exorbitant amount of money in a particular area, maybe it does make sense to try to bring somebody in-house. I mean, it also depends on whether you can find the right person in the expertise area. I mean, ERISA is another area that is very complicated. Uh, lots of experts out there, that's all what they do. To try to really bring in an ERISA expert, I think, is a difficult situation. I know some companies do. We have people that have good general knowledge of ERISA, but they're not going to be the experts day in and day out, which require a really high level and dedication to that particular area. So we look at some analytics. We look at how the company's growing. If there's certain areas where we feel we can be of value, if we have a company that maybe we purchased and they've got a large facility in Milwaukee, should we have a lawyer there to help the business? Uh, so those are some of the things that we look mm -hmm. at. 
And as we've grown, frankly, a lot of it is we just need more bodies because we just got work coming in, coming in, coming in. Right. You mentioned analytics. Are those generated by the law department or do you have another department, some finance division or, or some other group that gives you analytics so you get a, here's your breakdown of legal spend? How does that work in terms of the logistics? Yeah. No, we have, a, we have a matter management system and an e-billing system. Uh, that we've been working in the U.S. for probably six years now. So we can cut the data a number of different ways. We can see how many contracts are we reviewing, you know, what are the areas that they're coming in on, uh, what is our spend in different uh, areas of the country, different areas of expertise. So we can cut the data and really take a look and see if we're spending a lot of money in particular areas That's from, great. from an external standpoint. But also, from a contractual, we can see, you know, if we've gone from reviewing 1,500 contracts in one year to 2,000, then it obviously helps to pitch for an right. additional body. Yeah, no, you've got that. You can make data-driven decisions yes. and actually just say, instead of saying, oh, we seem busy, you've right. got numbers, which I imagine makes it easier to do that. It's never easy at Continental <laughs> to add a position, I can tell you that. But uh, yes, it helps when you have some data in addition to kind of seeing what's going on day to day in the business. Is the decision made, I mean, do you as general counsel make the decision to add or is that something you do in connection with HR or C-suite folks or kind of what is, uh, if you say, yeah, we've got enough contract business, we're going to add another contract lawyer. How do you do that? And I, and I ask not as much to necessarily know about Continental, but I'm trying to, I think I have folks struggle and say, I need another position, but I'm not sure how to get the money for that or how to get the funding. And it, obviously each company may have their own structure, but I think that's, I, I talked to a lot of people that are too busy, but they also say they're too busy to figure out how to, how to bring on help. And that is part of our issue too. I mean, uh, uh, usually what happens, so I will sit down with uh, the folks that report to me in the different disciplines and different regions, and we'll have a discussion several times a year about how are things going? Do they see a need in a particular area? Do you see a need overall? And I, I travel a fair amount to the businesses, so I have a good idea about what's going on and what's happening and how busy they are. And we've been busy ever since I've been at Continental, and it continues to be that way. But so, so from that discussion, we kind of make a decision, you know, we really need an additional body next year. And usually it coincides with the budget, which for us is usually in the late summertime to get uh, things for the following year budget. So once we determine within the law group that we need a particular body, I'll usually have a discussion with the CEO of the business that that person will ultimately be on the payroll for, whether that's our automotive business or our tire business or our county tech business. And there you'll begin kind of the, you know, this is why we need the person. There may be some analytics you can show. They may just know it because they know and they see it, they touch it and feel it. And I start kind of with the CEO as part of my normal meetings that I have with them. Hey, we're going to do this. If there's no objection, then we start the process with HR. And usually if we're in agreement, the boss is in agreement, <laughs> um, we can move forward. And we have a whole host of people that have to sign off on it, which is I think we have a pretty complicated process at Continental. Hopefully other <laughs> companies out there have a little less complication. But uh, that's kind of generally how we... Okay. start the process. No, that's helpful. I think that's interesting. Um, how about the actual recruitment? Is that something the law department does or HR does or divided responsibility? Tell me a little bit about that 
kind of, again, the nitty-gritty of, okay, yes, we need a contract lawyer. How do we find him? Um, it's a shared process with HR for us. Obviously, we'll define kind of uh, what we're looking for, whether it's an, a commercial lawyer or an employment lawyer or an IP lawyer. We've been pretty lucky. We, we've used legal recruiters, obviously, in the past. We usually start off with kind of a general, you know, monster.com or one of these website solicitation. And the last few years of uh, hiring people, most of the candidates have come out of that pool. We've had pretty good luck there. And obviously, there's some word of mouth. You know, people know mm-hmm. somebody's looking for a job in a particular area. So it's kind of a shared process from there. You know, the resumes are gathered. The responsible lawyer who's going to be hiring that person will kind of cut the resumes into a smaller group. Then there'll be some initial reach out by HR and some other things and some initial interviews. And that obviously will whittle down to a shorter list. And as the list gets shorter, a few more people will come in and interview. So I'm a big proponent of having obviously the people that are going to be working in that area uh, even if it may be paralegals, interviewing lawyers or other folks, sometimes we get the business people depending on the position, HR, but also some of the lawyers outside of the group to just try to get a different perspective. One thing that we found is, you know, sometimes lawyers tend to be like personalities in certain groups like commercial lawyers. Yes. And if you have, you know, an employment lawyer interview the commercial lawyer, they're going to pick up some different things and bring that to the table when we sit down and say, okay, what do you think about these various candidates? And then one other maybe different thing that I do is I interview everybody that comes into the department, whether they're an assistant, whether they're a paralegal, or whether they're a lawyer, and no matter where they sit, which is becoming more difficult as we grow and I expand my reach. So um, if you're hiring an assistant in Milwaukee, you would interview that person? I would do at least a phone interview, yes. And my philosophy there, and we're, we've been talking, we're, we may be growing to where I can't do everybody anymore, but certainly I've done this for the last 16 years. My philosophy is, one, I want them to know who I am. I have an opportunity to tell them at the very beginning my expectations, the goals of the department, the strategy, what we need to be doing as a team. So they know that right at the very beginning of the process. They obviously have the opportunity to ask me any question that they want. And then I'm looking for, you know, by the time usually uh, someone gets to me, they've been vetted for the skill set. For me, it's more chemistry. Mm. I mean, I know how my group operates and I know generally, you know, will someone fit into that group or will they be uncomfortable? And it'd be uncomfortable for them, uncomfortable the group, that's not gonna work out so well for anyone. So I'm looking at chemistry it's an opportunity, like I said, to really, they understand kind of where I'm coming from from the very beginning and whether that's the right fit for them. I mean, obviously, if they're getting that, usually I'm getting the final candidate, so usually they're getting pretty close. I mean, we are obviously interested, but they also have to be interested and want to come work for us. So it's time consuming, right? but for me, I think it's added value. And... Uh, so far, so good. We've got a pretty good retention rate. Well, and I think there's a lot of focus on fit, culture, 
you know, the, some of those intangibles are what differentiate a legal department with a lot of talented people that doesn't really function well to one that does, you know, goes smoothly. So I think, you know, if, you, if that helps you achieve that goal, that does seem like a good investment yeah. of time. You know, another thing, too, in terms of tips out there for people, at least things that have worked for us uh, when it comes to the interview process, when you get down again to kind of the last candidate's you know, a lot of the interviews are done at the office, and I would consider that, you know, very formal. Sometimes people are nervous. I mean, I like when you really get down to the final candidates, I like to have some interview or some activity outside of the office, whether that's a dinner or whether that's a lunch. I think you get an opportunity to see the person in a little bit different light. They have an opportunity, obviously, to re- try to relax a little bit more and maybe ask you some more questions that maybe they were holding back. And I found that it's, at least I think it's good both ways in terms of they can get some more information and we get a better feel for that person kind of in an informal atmosphere to see whether they're the right fit for the company. I think that's a great tip. I go back to when I joined Womble Carlisle. It was a cookout that they were having for some of the other lawyers. I just happened to come by. I was you know interviewing for a brand new associate position, but I do think it made it qualitatively different than just the office by office kind of standard interview of 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And it certainly gave me a better feel both of the type of people at the firm and a sense of, yeah, I can, uh, these are fun people I'd like to hang out with. Exactly. And that's yep. a, so I think that's a great suggestion yeah, that's been our, that I do think too. a lot of people don't you know, get busy. You kind of get into this mode of formal interviews. I, I, I appreciate you mentioning that because I do think that makes a difference. Yeah, no, no, we found that to be, I mean, it doesn't happen necessarily every single time, but we try our best to make that happen. And it's, it seems to have worked out, especially when you have, I mean, lately we've had uh, various positions where we've had very highly qualified candidates that you could almost flip a coin between. And sometimes just that little interaction, you get a, just a little bit of a feel, okay, this person you think will fit in just a little bit better with the group. So what about outside counsel then? I mean, that, I mean, it sounds like an incredibly thoughtful process in deciding who you bring in in-house. How much of that kind of interaction and that kind of getting to know someone and you know, we talked about culture and things, how much of that plays into the decision when you need to go to outside counsel and making that decision? How much does... For you, and, and how much would you, you know, um, recommend to other folks um, in your position and kind of taking those types of dynamics into consideration when making that decision? I think it goes very closely hand in hand when, if you're talking about selection of outside counsel for various things. I mean, a lot of the outside counsel that we have have been long-term partners. I mean, we were, we're really looking for a long-term relationship. We're not looking for, you know, a very short-term situation. And so it's a very thoughtful process. And yes, I think it's important that you get to know the people that you're hiring. Many of the lawyers I know that we hire, you know, I like to know them both as a person, but also as a lawyer. So, I mean, it's, I think it makes a better relationship all the way around. Yeah. Let's, um, I wanted to also just touch on retention. I think, you know, we've talked some about the selection process and the interview and the need to find fit. 
Are there things that you do at Continental that others might learn from in terms of trying to keep those folks? I know there's there's mobility. You and I are a little older than some of our listeners <laughs> may be. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've been at the same firm my entire career, but a lot of people move. And I know among in-house positions, there's often, you know, movement. How do you keep the people that you want to keep? Yeah. So, you know, when you're in a position like myself and you have talented people that work for you, there will be people and recruiters that come to try to take them all the time. That's a fact of life. And frankly, it's flattering for them. And it's flattering, I think, for how we're doing the department. What we try to do is we try to build an atmosphere and a culture where when that call comes, and I tell my folks, take the call, get the information, when that call comes and when the information comes and they look at it and they sit down, hopefully they're going to say, you know what, that's a pretty interesting opportunity, but I like it better where I'm at. And if we can create that, then we can create, obviously, the retention. And we have a pretty good retention rate. You know, we lose a few people here and there. Um, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, titles and promotions. That has been a challenge. Uh, when you have a lot of talented people right. that could move up in the organization to give them the opportunities. I mean, we've just done a reorganization of our global law group to try to create more opportunities for people so they can grow and get more responsibility. And I think that's a constant battle. We're constantly you know, looking at every person in the department. Every person has different goals and objectives and what they want to accomplish in their career. So we try to really pay attention to that. But at the end of the day, I think if you create an atmosphere where they like coming to work, they feel like they're reasonably compensated, they have a lot of responsibility, uh, they bring value to the organization, they're working on important things. If you create that environment and fun, I mean, they should have fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't have fun at your job that you spend most of your time, you should probably look for something else to do. But if you create that atmosphere, like I said, hopefully when those recruiters come, because not if, because they're coming, they're coming every day. Right. But when they come, hopefully they're saying, you know what, great opportunity, but I like where I'm at. And I would say, you know, the people that we've lost, we've lost some talented people over the years. And in most cases, we've lost them because we didn't have the position that was right for them at the next level. They could do the next level position, but there wasn't something open. The timing wasn't right or whatever, right. and the opportunity came. The general for, counsel wasn't leaving. Right. The general, <laughs> yeah, the general counsel. I mean, one of the guys that left right. was my you know, kind of number two guy, and he went to become general counsel of a publicly traded company. Right. And he could easily do my job. Unfortunately, I did not have another job to go to. Yeah. You know, and that opportunity no, I, came. That is an, inevitably, right? Yeah. There's, there's and, only, and yeah. you know, we had... And I think with most of my people, we've got a good enough relationship where if that opportunity came up, as much as I would hate to lose the person, for them personally is a great opportunity. It's what they want to develop their career. I say, you should take it. This is good for you. Obviously, not so great for me, for Continental, but, you know, that's part of life. But I think in many instances, and, you know, in, in those cases, I feel... Uh, you hate to lose the people, but you feel like you've done mostly what you can do to try to retain them. 
for the other people, if you created the right environment, hopefully that'll take care of itself. But it's a constant challenge. It makes me think of um, John Calipari, uh, the head coach of uh, University of Kentucky, the basketball coach. You get a lot of criticism for being the, the two and done kind of thing. You, know, you get these kids in who are there for two years and then move on to the NBA. And one of the things that he has said is, you know what? That's the system that it is, and I'm glad for it because I know that we're giving them the experience they need to be successful at that next level, and that the kids who are going to be, that that sets a precedent, and that the the folks that I'm going to, the kids that I'm going to get to um, fill that place are going to be that next generation of that quality and so while you know you hate to see someone go you're happy for them personally there's also something to be said about if i go work for george at at connell i know that i'm going to get the kind of experience and opportunity that's going to lead me to that next level so the folks that are going to be uh coming to you aren't going to be you know bottom of the barrel these are going to be cream of the crop kind of folks yeah when i if i look back over the last uh we'll call it 12 years, 10, 12 years, the people we have lost, many of them are general counsels at various companies around the country. So it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's a little, a, bit, little bit like a coaching pedigree, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's a good legacy. I do. I write. It shows that you've given them those skills. And, and well, you hope so. Them. You hope so. You hear that, uh, John Calabari? Uh, <laughs> George George is calling you out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think those are helpful tips. Are there other thoughts that you have in terms of building that legal department that we may not have touched on that you want to share with our listeners? One other thing I think that sometimes is lost by departments, and that is uh, the value of paralegals. Um, We have, I think, I didn't go back and cap, but I think we have six or seven paralegals in the group in the United States. And they bring so much value. I mean, they can do so much in helping the lawyers and the staff I mean, we really have some incredibly talented people. And I know that in some other departments, you know, it's so lawyer focused, you need to bring lawyers and lawyers and maybe some administrative staff. But I think if you look to try to balance your lawyers with some great paralegals, it's a nicer way to have a balanced group. And we've been very lucky uh, to have really just fantastic paralegals out there. So I think it's one other thing that as you're growing your department, it's a nice way to, to grow it. That's a great point, and I do think it's one often overlooked. Are most of your paralegals coming from law firms, or are you hiring from other companies, or, or both, or growing uh, them on your own? It's been a mixed bag for us. Uh, some have come from law firms, some have come from other companies. Frankly, most of them have been around Continental for a good while now, but uh, hopefully we're going to be hiring a new paralegal, another paralegal, additional paralegal in uh, next year. I don't know where we'll find that person, but it's been kind of a mixed bag. That's great. No, I think that's a good reminder. People often don't think about that. Any other parting remarks here as we begin to wrap up? You know, depending on the size of the company that you're with and the culture, I think, as, as we talked about earlier, chemistry, not only within the group, but chemistry with the culture of your organization. You know, you want someone that will fit. And I will say, at least when we interview, which is maybe not the case in all companies, uh, 
uh, you know, we look at that personality and fit chemistry along with obviously work experience and skill set. That's a much more much more important to us than say what law school did you graduate from i mean frankly i rarely even look about what school the person graduated when i interview i'm really focused on chemistry skill set work experience are they going to fit now we have lawyers from all you know we have harvard law from harvard law school to you know other law schools out there so we have the whole mix but I think sometimes companies get a little bit uh, caught up in, let's say, wanting to have particular pedigrees from certain universities. Right. So you don't have any, you know, choice group. Do you have any grade point cutoffs or rank no. cutoffs or anything no. like that? Okay. So you're really looking for the fit, the experience, the skills, rather yeah. than some academic. And we're okay. So we're a little different in that we very rarely hire right from law school. So we're really looking at people with a minimum of five to seven years of experience out there. So we're a little bit different. We may have a little bit different look if we're hiring out of school, but if you're hiring somebody, you know, with 10 years of experience, more often than not, their work experience and the skill sets they've learned and where they have worked are probably more important than where they went to law school. Makes sense to me. Well, George, thank you very much for taking some time. I know how busy you are to uh, share these tips with our listeners. I appreciate it uh, very much. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our other episodes from the ACC Annual Conference, which will be rolling out every two weeks. You can download or stream those and other past episodes or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud or visit our website at womblebonddickinson.com forward slash US forward slash podcast. As always, I welcome your questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. This has been In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station.